welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. Hey, what a cultural issue. Anyway. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and we're glad to have with us today Daniel Darling. Daniel's the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Seminary, and he's the host of the popular podcast, The Way Home. Daniel served in churches in Illinois and Tennessee, and he's also a best-selling author of several books, including The Original Jesus, The Dignity Revolution, and Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. But before we hear from Daniel, let's go to Ed Stetzer, editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Oh, we're going to have a conversation today. I've known Dan for a long time. I never called him Daniel before, but we can call him that. Um, that's not Daniel, Daniel. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk some about uh, about social media, about how pastors and church leaders should address kind of church members who go, I don't know how to describe it, rogue on social media. I also want to talk about the whole, I mean, Dan has written books, The Dignity Revolution, uh, Away With Words, and 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 I want to specifically sort of press in on the question of winsome. I've heard winsome's not going to work anymore. I've heard we moved away from winsome. We're done with winsome. So we got lots of conversation to have with Dan Darling. I think you'll find it helpful. We want to remind you, you can check out extended portions of some of our interviews at churchleaders.com slash plus. And if you're enjoying the interviews, and I know you do, people tell me, oh, this is a podcast, I love this, but they don't leave reviews. Hmm. But reviews are how other people find this. So thank you for listening. And if you're listening, this is your opportunity to put a review, unless you don't like Dan Darling, and then do the review in the next episode. All right, let's move on. So, all right, we're talking about using online conversations for good. Um, Not an easy thing. So let's talk a little bit about how to, because it seems that the People, it just goes quickly. It's not long before someone's using, you know, Hitler or someone's calling someone a Nazi. And it seems like every social media disagreement leads to disparagement and disruption in relationships. So what would you say to people who believe such discussions are just not held in line at all, just better held in person? Well, I think it depends on the nature of the conversation. I mean, I think on the one level, social media is where a lot of the, a lot of the conversation is happening. And um, as much as we, maybe we'd like to, we're not going to go back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly all become Amish. So we have to figure out how do we engage, how do we live in this digital age? How do we conduct ourselves well? So I do think Christians should be in, engaged in, in, in the sort of marketplace of ideas where things are happening. On the other hand, I do think there are some conversations best left offline. There are some conflicts to be resolved that can't be resolved in public. I think one of the things we forget when we're online is that we're in public, especially leaders. You know, um, let's say a leader has, you know, I always tell people this. Let's say a leader, let's say he only has 100 friends or followers, which is fairly easy to do. You know, imagine a room of 100 people and you're given the mic. What would you say? And if you're having a conversation, everyone's listening. Or if you have 1,000, that's a pretty big you know, auditorium. And for 10,000, some have 100,000. That's, you know, that's like the Rose Bowl. You're in public and people are watching you. So as a leader, I think you have to think through not just what you're saying, but how, how you're saying it, because people are watching you. And, you know, the thing with leadership is that people will do in excess what leaders do in moderation. So we're we're modeling for the people watching us how to conduct ourselves. And so I, I think we have to think about all those things when we engage uh, in these spaces. Okay, let's talk a little bit about it. I'm actually on your social media right now. And of course, this is pre-recorded. It's not a live program. So this is from your social media days ago, depending on when we release this. Um, you actually just called out uh, deliberate disinformation from President Biden when he talked about 
uh, well, he did give some misinformation about about uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, you told someone you happy birthday. You uh, talked about do we really want Supreme Court justices um, harassed at restaurants? Now, our audience is pastors and church leaders. You and I are public commentators. Mm-hmm. So, what would the would your would your advice be to tweet like you? I mean, you've seen my tweets. I, I comment on things similar to the way you do. I think we share a lot in common. Uh, or what advice would you give to them who are not public commentators but are pastors and church leaders probably of local congregations? You have to ask yourself what your calling is. You know, if you're in a sort of national public role, you know, for me, I write columns and, um, you know, contribute in the public discourse. So I, I probably comment on a lot of things uh, in the public square that maybe other people wouldn't. And that's okay. You know, I think the the demand and pressure that every pastor has to have an opinion on every single uh, current event on the medium that that I think they should have is really unfair, right? Uh, you have to decide what is your calling, and 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 sometimes I think pastors and church leaders, if they're too active on social, it might have people wonder: Are they doing anything else? Like, do they have? You know, are they leading their their family? Uh, what are they doing? And even those of us who are in the public square, who are commenting on some of these issues, we do have to do this in a way that I think is. Um, uh, honoring. I think you can have hard words and prophetic words, but also do it with civility and not demean people. So I disagree, obviously, with President Biden on a number of issues, uh, abortion being one of them. I try not to ever dim- diminish and disparage him personally. And if there are places where I can commend him, like, you know, he gave a Medal of Honor posthumously to John McCain yesterday. I thought that was cool. That was great. I mean, I just think we have to be consistent and try to call out both sides. So when President when Trump was president, uh, a lot of people co- uh, called out rightly, you know, when he would say things that weren't true. I think we, you have to do that for the the president too. So I yeah, think but it's interesting. Consist- but when you when you or I say something, I still remember one time I was talking about President Obama had done. This was early on in my social media engagement. President mm-hmm. Obama had started an initiative. I think it was a fatherhood initiative. Was talking about uh, his own relationship with his daughters, and I said, I, I said it was nice to see, you know, as the father of daughters. Mm. Um, and oh my gosh, you know, it was as if I had cut the head off of a goat, put it on the altar and ask the people to pray to it. Um, and, you know, and, and again, I, I think that there are things in common grace and more, there are right things that I've, I've been critical of President Trump. There are right things President Trump did. I was vocally supportive of many of the things President Trump did. There have been right things President Biden's done. I've been supportive of some of those things. But it's interesting. You just get hammered by mm-hmm. some of the people that agree with you. And so the is the best thing just to not say anything. So I'm bringing you back to my question because you're a public commentator. You're trying to balance that out. I'm the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of so-and-so. Is it different for me? Um, I think it it is based on calling. I think that's a really great question. And that's a question that a pastor has to ask themselves. And you're right. Like if you're, if you feel like a calling to, to write and to speak on these things, that's good. But most people aren't. And I, I do think it's something to ask ourselves. Do I have to comment on every news story? Um, I don't think so. Uh, unless you feel like here's a big cultural moment where I'm going to comment because my people in my church right. really need to know what I think about it. And I can flesh it out this way. Uh, but think about this, Ed. 20 years ago, I didn't know what some random pastor five states away thought about every global crisis. Right. Nor did I care. And now it's like every time there's a news story, everyone has to comment. So I think we have to weigh that, you know, James 119, let everyone be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, uh, really applies to the digital age. 
there seems to be like so many people now um, that are highly destructive online. Um, their behavior is mm-hmm. really hurtful, and a lot of them are inside the church. Um, what are your thoughts around you know when Christians behave badly online, and uh, and then you know to the pastor who their church member is very destructive online? How do you coach them to to confront and to uh, to really lead well those church members? Well, I think there's two things there. I think from a broad level, we pastors, uh, you know, and I pastored for six years and uh, I'm involved in church life. We have to do, I think, a better job at equipping our people on how to live in a digital age. This is the age our people are called to live in as Christians. And I think we need to really give them tools in terms of what it looks like to conduct themselves and let them know that the fruits of the spirit still matter online. All the sins of the tongue and all the sins of uh, that we can commit against each other rhetorically that are outlined in scripture, you know, still matter and count online. You know, Proverbs still applies online. So I think we need to give our people tools and actually ask, have them ask themselves questions like, what am I doing when I'm online? What's my purpose here? How is this forming and shaping me? From a, from a broad perspective, we need to help our people do that. I think to answer your specific question, I do think there's a, there's a place for church leaders and again, this has to be done with wisdom and care, and you have to know the local situation. But I think there is a place for pastors and leaders to pull aside a member who is just really being very toxic or going after people or slandering, uh, spreading lies and half-truths to say, uh, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister, but uh, you know the way that you're acting online, um, we have some concerns about, you know, walk through scripture and say, is this something that, you know, as a follower of Christ, this is something that uh, we should be doing. And again, we have to be careful about this, you know, just because someone has an opinion doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're sinning online. I mean, they, even if they have a wrong opinion, but I do think, I do think there is a point of, of confrontation for someone who's being really toxic, who's going after other believers in a harmful way. You know, I've had to, you know, confront people that were spreading lies and posting stuff about organizations I worked for and, and just said, hey, you know, th- this isn't true. And I don't think you should be posting that. So it, it's a delicate situation, but I do think there's a place for that. Yeah. And delicate. I mean, is probably the right word to put it. It's, but I also think that two things I really, and again, I really found it helpful in a way with words using online conversations for good. Your book um, is the call to do better. And I think too, you even reminded us a minute ago, I think pastors and churches need to be teaching and preaching on this. I mean, people spend hours upon hours online. Uh, and I think we need to bring that online engagement under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, um, really. And, and I think in the accountability community with one another. So um, I, for me, you know, as, as someone who serves sometimes, I, was, I transitioned from a church where I was in a room and somebody was watching the live stream of the the new pastor since I've done this three or four times you can't you can't figure out who it is um and they risk being critical oh I really don't like this person is and actually in this case they said something I um positive about me and negative about the new pastor and so I, I just was on the chat and I said hey why don't you just go ahead and keep praying and being encouraging for the new pastor because they immediately deleted their comment just because I replied to it but who in the world says that I mean would we blurt this in church Yet yeah. something about the disembodied nature of mm-hmm. online communication causes that. And and another situation, different person, uh, this was actually at Moody Church. Uh, I actually uh, encouraged a small group leader, so women's small group um, leader in this case, and to reach out to a person in the small group and just talk to them about, you know, these online posts, I just don't think are helpful. And the person received it. And I was so thankful that the person received it. And the Lord was honored by it. And 
And and and they just for them they what they literally said is well I didn't think anybody read it well which is a fascinating thing I mean it's social media it's not your diary it's social media mm -hmm. so okay so so but here's the thing um, not everyone likes to receive a critique of their social media it's like well you know I can say anything I want I'm you know I'm in a free country whatever it may be so how would you encourage well, one thing is, let me just say, you could give away with words to somebody, uh, but yes. how would you encourage that pastor or church leader, in addition to giving away with words, uh, to, to approach somebody or have somebody approach somebody? What would be, you've been a pastor, you, you, you until just recently serving that role, will probably again, how do you nudge that conversation along? That's a great question. I think a lot of it is uh, dependent on the kind of capital you have with somebody. And one of the things I try to tell people is um, the quality of our offline life will determine the quality of our online life. So if you have a healthy offline life, healthy accountability, people in your life who can confront you, that can shape your online life. One of the things, what, one of my sort of uh, rules is uh, that when someone's acting really crazy online, like going just insane and tweeting or posting stuff that's just berserk or nasty or mean, I, I'm really nervous and I, and I want to ask the question, what is going on offline? What something's going on in their life? Because it seems like online engagement in some ways can be an escape or a fig leaf for some things that are going on offline. But in terms of confronting someone, um, I think if you have a relationship with them, I think it's okay to say, look, man, I really appreciate your ministry. I love what you're doing. You know, some of the ways that you engage online, I know you don't mean to do it this way. I don't, I don't, I don't think you mean for this, but this is kind of how it's being received. This is how it's being heard. This is what people take from that. I think most people will come away from that and say, man, I didn't even realize that. Uh, Ed, you did that to me a few years ago. You, you texted me a few of my tweets and you said, man, this is like a little bit over the top or whatever. And it really set me back. I was like, you know, he's right. Because I think everybody down deep knows, am I doing this right? Or am I, am I going too far online? And if someone could come and say, man, I, I just don't think the way you did that was good. Uh, most people receive that. Now, there are always people that like Proverbs calls that are fool that don't take instruction. Um, and then obviously there's a deeper problem there. But I think as brothers and sisters, you know, Bible says to provoke each other to love and good works. I think that's part of it. The online space is not some separate like sphere that is exempt from all these rules of you know, biblical discipleship. You know, I may have received a few texts from Ed from time to time too. <laughs> <laughs> About Ed, social media. Ed in the Holy well, you know, Spirit. But, but I would say in both cases, um, in both both received it well mm -hmm. and uh, didn't necessarily agree, but I think that's a key thing. And part of the reason is, is because people have texted me about my social sure. media. I was like, you know what? Probably not the best. So yeah. Yeah, it's, I love to dig into that because for church leaders, they're leading staff and uh, or an organization. And a staff member's uh, online personality can reflect the organization. So Dan, like wisdom to uh, executive leaders, um, I mean, do you make policies about what staff can post? That's good. That's good. Or do you just, you know, uh, neglect and ignore the fact that, you know, the staff have free reign and they can post whatever. So any advice around that? See, I think staff, you can have policies. Now, every staff's going to want to do it a little differently and have some will have more freedom and some will have less depends on the nature of, of your organization. But I do think it's really good to have employee policies on that. Some employees will find that stifling. 
I think a lot of employees will find that comforting to say, okay, this just gives me the parameters that I can swim in. I think especially for churches. And one of the things I think about churches is that, you know, we've said for what, 20 years that the website is the front door of, of a church now, right? Instead of the lobby, the, it's the website and possibly the pastor's sermons, right? Those are the first engagement you have with the church to kind of judge them. I also think the staff, social media, particularly the senior pastor is a front door. Because a lot of times folks will go online and say, oh, let me see this guy. Sometimes they're not online at all, which is great, which is great, you know, sometimes refreshing. But if you go online and you see the pastor and he's ranting and raving all the time and he's out of control, I think it's a turnoff. I think it can hurt our hurt people from coming in the front door. I think if you work for an organization in some way, you're representing them, right? So you think, well, I'm just the children's director. I'm just the uh, worship leader. Uh, well, you if you have that organization in your bio, you're representing them in some way. And, you know, we're, we're not individual people. We're part of a community. And I think we have to think about that. Yeah. And I would be of the view that even if you don't have the organization's name in your mm -hmm. bio, uh, the people you're still representing the organization and, 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 you know, a little tricky for me because I was in charge of our social media at Lifeway and, you know, we had, was it I think over at that time, there were over the course of a year, six, 7,000 employees. We got a W2 or whatever from, from Lifeway. Um, and I got to tell you, um, I, I didn't, I wasn't the social media police. People had a broad ability to express their opinions, but there are some things you just don't want people to be, um, things that are contrary to the scriptures or things that are, that are mean or wrong. I mean, and so, so I, I do think that a lot of pastors are sort of struggling. And this is a conversation I had just last week. And they, and, and one of the pastors in this meeting said, well, I think, you know, people can post what they want in social media. We can't tell them not to. And I said, actually, you can. Uh, the question is, is how might you respond to that? What are the consequences? Is it, is it we want to talk about this and let's do differently or how we're going to represent ourselves? Or is it a separation, which it can be? People have lost their jobs because of social media. So, all right, with, with all that being said, there are some obvious mistakes um, and things that people want to avoid, maybe even some not so obvious mistakes. Because um, one of the things I've encouraged pastor and church leaders to do is to have a social media discussion with their staff to actually mm -hmm. say, this is what's good. Uh, don't, don't become a distraction by taking us off mission in this way. I actually, you know, I actually have a little protocol that I've used. So what are some mistakes that you see that pastors can communicate to people or maybe themselves can avoid making uh, when it comes to social media, obvious or not so obvious mistakes? Well, I think there's a few. I think one, even when we do talk about cultural and political issues, again, as I said, not making it personal. So you can speak out on issues if, if, if that's, you know, obviously allowable under your um, church's social media guidelines or your organizations. Speak out on issues, but just understand always when you're doing that, you're representing not just you, but the organization. So I think that's that one is really important. I think number two, trying to resolve conflict online, you know, interpersonal conflict that's within the organization. I see this happen from time to time, and I just think it's a bad look. So if you're having an issue with within the organization, you know, resolve that internally, resolve that not in public. I, I also th see something too, and I don't know if you, you noticed this, but got to be very careful that we don't put off the idea that the people we're representing as leaders that were embarrassed by them. So sometimes I see folks who work for evangelical organizations kind of do a lot of the sort of, oh, can you believe evangelicals are so whatever, or the kind of constant. And it's like, man, those people pay your paychecks. <laughs> and so I, 
to be very careful in that sense as well. Being overly nasty and argumentative, you know, going really deep on an argument back and forth, back and forth over, over really ridiculous things to where people come away and say, man, like this is not a good look for that organization to be doing that. So I, I think those are some common mistakes people make. You know, if you're a worship leader at a church, you think oh, I'm just the worship leader, but man, if you're, you can embarrass your whole church online, or if you're a, you know, and an a staff member at a Christian organization, you can embarrass your organization or even taking, um, taking political positions that are really far out there, right or left, that might be at odds with where the people you represent are, or you're maybe putting your organization in a, in a position of having to take a position on that when they really donor that's out of their lane. So I think those are all things you have to think about. I mean, one rule I always had was like, don't commit the organization to a political position they haven't thought through yet, you know what mm. I'm saying? Or to a policy position anyways. So those are just some things I, I think about. For, for the pastor that's thinking through this um, and, you know, they really want to uh, obviously bring in, you know, a biblical perspective, maybe they're mm -hmm. even developing a teaching series around, you know, um, how to engage, like, what are the key biblical themes, key texts that you would suggest that they would, would use? Uh, on a series on, on social media and technology. Um, yeah, that, or, yep, yep, absolutely. See, I would do a broad sweep. You know, I would do a series on this, you know, first of all, I would, I would start with creation that, you know, understand and, and lay out for people what technology is and what it isn't. You know, hmm. We think technology is a laptop or a microphone or an iPhone, but really technology is just the act of taking the raw materials of creation and innovating, uh, you know, it's fulfilling the creation mandate that way. And so, and then I would talk about how technology can be corrupted in a fallen world, uh, asking ourselves, what is it doing to us? Not just what we're doing with it. And then also going through, I think it would be really important to go through, especially some of the Proverbs and then some of the New Testament uh, passages about what we do with our words. You know, I think we sometimes compartmentalize and think, yeah, I would never say this to someone in person, but man, when I'm online, it's all, it's okay. And the Bible has a lot to say about what we say and a lot to say about the shape of our words and walking through that. And then I would talk about, um, you know, I think there's a temptation in the digital age because we have the phone at our fingertips um, and I got this, I'm borrowing this from Jen Michelle, who's a, a great writer who lives in Toronto, who's written a few books, but she talks about how the first, what, one of the first temptations of Eve was that you can be all knowing. And that's the temptation of the internet age that I have this thing in my pocket and I can be all knowing. And really we're not made as humans to be all knowing. We're made, only God was, we're finite beings. And so having people discern between what is a good pursuit of knowledge you know, the Bible talks about the pursuit of knowledge is, and wisdom is, is good. And what is kind of frivolous pursuit of sort of junk food information, being a busybody, as Paul says in the, in the, in the um, New Testament. And then the last thing I would say, I would go through the passages in the pastorals about Christian leadership. It's interesting to me when we talk about Christian leadership, and Ed, you and I have talked about this before, we typically look at the two that are the biggest, you know, can they preach? <laughs> can they teach? And then are they faithful to their wives? And that's, both of those are important, but there's a whole lot of other um, character traits too. And those are all traits of temperament, you know, not a quarreler, not a brawler kind. You, I think leaders can be disqualified 
if they are jerks, <laughs> if they act terrible online, if they, or even in their, uh, you know, in their leadership. And sometimes we overlook the, those uh, traits of temperament. And I don't think we should. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, the war on winsome, as I'm calling mm. it. Um, you know, you've written, I would say two books in the winsome space, if I could use the yeah. word winsome space, you know, certainly Christians in the Age of Outrage book I wrote is in the winsome space. Yes. Yet, uh, we're hearing a lot of Christian leaders uh, say, or maybe, I don't know if a lot's the right word, some Christian leaders saying, mm -hmm. that's kind of a strategy of the past. We live in a world now, we got to punch harder, we got to punch back to the left, and um, we got we to gotta maybe fight our way forward and having a, and I, I don't want to, I am oversimplifying, but I would say there's a war on winsome. That word, if you were to tweet right now, Daniel, Dan Darling said, I think we need to be winsome as Christians. You'd get 50 responses saying, not anymore. So how do you respond to that? How should we think as pastors and church leaders about winsome words online and beyond? Yeah, the war on winsome is like the war of 2022. I think on the one hand, there is a point to be made that we are in an age where there's increasing hostility to to Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. And so it's wise to be aware, to know that simply being kind and being nice and being thoughtful will not always gain us an audience that maybe it would have a generation ago. Um, so I think there's something to be said there. On the other hand, you know, when I look at the New Testament and I look at all the exhortations toward the fruits of the spirit, you know, these were written by men who were sent to jail for preaching, right? Paul is writing to Timothy from prison saying, Yes, Timothy, fight for the things that matter. Be courageous. Stand up for what you believe. Jude is saying what, you know, uh, uh, earnestly defend, contend for the faith. And yet Paul is also saying, don't be a quarreler. Don't be a brawler. Be kind. Be humble. Understand that you are sinners saved by grace. You know, Paul, before he tells Timothy to, to stand up against false teaching, make sure Timothy understands, you know, humility and all that kind of thing. And Paul is saying that, you know, this is the apostle Paul saying this, and he's no shrinking violet. Then you, then you think about Peter. Peter says, have an answer for every person for the hope that lies within you, but do it with gentleness and kindness. And this is Peter, the apostle who said, uh, I'll obey God rather than man went to jail. He's the one that was willing to you know, pull out a sword and cut off the guy's ear for heaven's sake. So I just think it's funny that we think, somehow we're more courageous than Peter and Paul because we had a really strongly worded tweet um, <laughs> that somehow, yes, the apostles said to be kind and winsome and create and, and, and show the fruits of the spirit, but those guys don't know the era we're in. I mean, are we in an era that's harder to live as a Christian than the first century Christians? I don't think so. I mean, so I, I just think it's really kind of a false, um, choice, you know, between civility and courage, I think we can do both of those at the same time. Hmm. You know, so many uh, of pastors and church leaders are dealing with uh, their church members uh, finding wrong sources of information online, and, uh, and mm -hmm. that, you know, sometimes that comes from Christian sources, you know, whether it's a discernment blogger or, um, or, or whatever, and what is your advice to church uh, leaders around helping church members better discern sources of information? Well, that's such a great question because that's, that's the question of the hour, right? There's so much information coming at us from, every, you know, we're, we're in an age where information is deregulated. There's good and bad things. The good thing is, you know, you don't have the same three news organizations controlling the information. 
I think it's also good for marginalized voices now have a chance to speak. But at the same time, there's so much information and there's so many sources. How do we know what's right and true? I do think we need to pe- teach our people discernment on the one hand of trying discernment is basically choosing between what is good and beautiful and true and what is not. But we also have to be discerning about discernment blogs because <laughs> I think a lot of those that are sort of self-appointed watchdogs, I don't think they're the people that are earnestly searching the scriptures. I think what they are, are the people Paul talks about. Mark those who are divisive among you. I think if there's a purient interest in tabloid fodder among Christians, that to me is troublesome. This sort of, you know, looking for ways and and areas to tear people down. No, look, we need accountability. We need um, people in public positions need accountability. We've seen scandal. It's good that that's all been exposed. We need we need that. And yet I think this sort of delight in, in sort of taking people down is really wrong. I also think we just, as Christians, we're about the truth. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If we care about the truth, we should care about the truth about each other and make sure, are we getting, have we done our homework? Asking ourselves, is this true? Is this actually true? Uh, or is it half true? Am I getting the whole story? The love chapter in First Corinthians 13, one of the marks of love for a brother or sister is love believes all things. In other words, love gives the benefit of the doubt. Now, we shouldn't be naive, right? There are bad people. There are scandals. There are people that do Christians that do wrong things. But we should give Christians the benefit of the doubt to think, okay, Tim Keller said this. I'm not going to assume malice on his part based on one tweet that I misread. Let me give him the benefit of the doubt. Or Ed Stetzer said this, I'm not going to assume malice on his part. Let me give him the benefit of the doubt. Instead of just running with this sort of, you know, he's a false prophet or he's a whatever. I just don't think that's healthy. It's not the way of love. It's not the way of Christ. We do need public confrontation. I mean, there are, there are times where Christian leaders um, fall into heresy or have false teaching that's to be confronted. But I think a lot of times what passes for watch bloggers and discernment blogs and all that stuff is really just sort of the Christian version of tabloid, you know, like walking in the supermarket aisle and seeing those uh, those trashy tabloids. And I think we should avoid that. I think Paul is saying that to to his young protégés there in the pastoral epistles. Hmm. Yeah, as we're wrapping up here, Dan, um, just not asking you to predict the future, but as you're thinking about the future of the church, like what do you think the online conversations where we're trending What's your hope? What would you like to see happen here? Well, it's hard to predict where it's all going to go. I don't think we're going to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I mean, I think the online community is here to stay for good or ill. I do. I am always positive, though. I'm a glass half full guy. And I do think, in spite of all the division uh, and disunity that we see, that is very disheartening and I think hurts our mission. I do think God is at work in the world. And I think Christ is building a church even in this age. And you know, if we're willing to look and see what the spirit is doing. And I think it's easy for us to become cynical. We see the scandals, we see the bad headlines, we see the nastiness online, but then, you know, what happens? I go to church and I talk to local Christians in my church and I realize they don't know the last 15 controversies that happened online. They're just faithfully serving in their communities, putting their yes on the table, uh, trying to raise their families for the Lord. And so that's what gives me hope. 
uh, that, the, you know, the kingdom of God is built mostly with ordinary people. You know, there's a few of us that have books and headlines and, and bylines and podcasts and all that. And that's great. I'm grateful for that. But for the most part, the kingdom of God is built with ordinary people that, you know, will never be known outside of their local community. And that's what sort of gives me hope for the future of the church. That's a good word. You've been listening to Dan Darling. Be sure to check out his book, Away With Words, using our online conversations for good. Thanks again for listening to the Setzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that help other ministry leaders find and benefit from our content more easily. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.